Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective. The rugby rugby that is also rugby. I think I've now made it to almost all the way through this run of uh, this this series of the podcast without getting the title of the name of the of the name wrong title of the <laughs> podcast wrong. But I can't say anything else. That's my trade off. You've gotten a lot like better this. at the whole knowing the name of your own podcast. Thing. Yeah, so it's, a lot of credit where it's due. It's been a, it's been a real struggle, frankly. I'm joined as ever by Mr. Will Owen. How are we doing? All right, all right, all right. How are you? I'm I'm all right. I'm all right. And joining us from Line Break Rugby and the Dummy Runner, which is great, and everyone should follow on Twitter. We are once again joined by Adam Jenkins. How are we doing? Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm all right. Very relaxed after hearing the after being basically serenaded by Bill McLaren for for an entire eighty minutes, which is probably one of the best experiences you can have in rugby. Yeah. So how was the, I mean, we'll start small. How was like the jump back to 1987 for you? How was that experiencing? Actually, have you watched much from this period in the past yourself? I mean, mostly we would have to be sort of old Wales games and things like that. So sort of used to the general style of rugby of the time, Mm. which is generally just throw the ball or kick it in just sort of any sort of general direction and hope something comes off. But yeah, seeing seeing it with sort of two teams that I'm not really used to from the era. Mm. Yeah, it was it was it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously big difference from modern rugby and even from, you know, from 2011 which we looked at before, which was 10 years past and still seems like a long distance away. Mm. This is a whole other era, a whole different thing. It feels like a different game a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's a few sort of things that that stuck out to me straight away was the amount of kicking and not necessarily Mm. territorial kicking that you'd see now, but just the willingness to to put it on the ball option for an attack or to try and keep it in play or something. There was a lot of footballing I noticed. Um, Yeah. Especially, I'll get onto a bit, but uh, a bit of footballing out of touch between one of the Scotland players <laughs> uh, on the Romanian player, but uh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. We will come on to that. That's, that's a very important <laughs> point. Uh, Adam, I was wanting to pick up on. So last time you were on this podcast, we spoke a lot about rugby's most handsome man, Blaine Scully. 
mm-hmm. and you, in a very Beetlejuice sort of way, managed to will him onto the next episode <laughs> of the podcast that was about the USA. So I was just wondering if you had any plans to do similar magical things this time, if there was a particular player that you really wanted to hype up who will just magically appear on our podcast, or indeed, if you want to talk about Blaine Scully more. i I, I got to be honest, because I, I was... I... You know, the result of the match is, is well known beforehand because it's happened in the past. But I, well, I did find myself rooting for Romania as like the underdogs. And I fell in love with their fullback. Mm. He like, yeah, he just one of those. He, he just got involved with everything. And if you can manage to get the, the fullback from the Romania squad of 1987 on this podcast, <laughs> I will be extremely impressed. Um, we'll we'll do our utmost. I mean, Blaine Scully actually listened to that episode the three of us did together, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Robbie, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He he messaged me saying, "I'm really enjoying the podcast," which put a huge level of pressure on him. Yeah, yeah. And especially to say, Robbie, you're you're very well established and always have wow. been. And like, I was very very new to this at that stage, so that <laughs> completely freaked me the fuck out. And Adam, of course, you as well. Have, you have met Blaine Scully before, which you have over the two of us. And I'm eternally jealous of that. But yeah, it was a, an immense feeling of like fish out of water thinking, oh my God, Blaine Scully's heard us all have a chat about like Vampire Weekend. <laughs> the, 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 worst, the worst thing, it was obviously lovely to know that he listened to the podcast, but at the same time thinking, oh God, what the hell does he think of me? After that? <laughs> like, yeah. He's obviously he's obviously been extremely polite about it and, mm. and just said just said that he thought the podcast was great and that he wanted to be on it and things like that. But in the back of his mind, what he must have thought I hope they don't get those two guests on again. <laughs> that brother and that, that other Welsh guy. <laughs> Very lovely man, Blaine Scully. We'll, we'll have exactly the, the same experience with Vasil Lyon. You know, yeah, just, just yeah. him in exactly the same way. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah, but instead, in, instead of talking about how handsome he is, you just gonna be, oh, what a weapon! That's the Ion is <laughs> the Romanian fullback that you were referring to, of course, Adam. Yes, yeah. At one point, uh, Vasil Ion joins a ruck. He's in a ruck, and Bill McLaren loses his shit at the sight <laughs> of it. What I loved is like. You know, we're calling him Vasil Ion, but in Bill McLaren's lovely, like, really rolled Scottish accent, he calls him Ian half the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I just love how many moments in this match produced sort of classic Bill McLaren moments. Oh. You know, you you had uh, like like you mentioned with Ion with with the what is he doing there, and uh, you had a, you had a demented ferret at one demented point. Demented ferret, I have written um, down. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Duncan running like a demented ferret. Just Bill McLaren comes up with so many moments. And what's great is like, this isn't a famous game. This isn't a mm. game that, unless mm. in this context, people are going to look back on. And the fact that he still comes up with that many great moments is just incredible. He is the gold standard to which everyone who's ever covered rugby since is chasing. Mm. He is, yeah. all of us are just walking in Bill McLaren's footsteps and trying to do something worthy of the art form he created with every word he spoke. Yeah. It's just, as you, as you said at the start, Adam, it's like being serenaded. It's yeah. everything he says is wonderful, and he's so warm, and he seems to just love the game so much, no matter what the match he's covering is, no matter how it's going, no matter the teams. And it just it's so impossible not to get caught up in. Mm. And this was one of the most I've enjoyed any game in this World Cup. And I don't know if it's one of the best, but Bill McLaren was commentating. Yeah, yeah. I think so. My favourite Bill McLaren moment in this match was there was a woman in the crowd just wearing a shirt 
that said Romania okay on it. And Bill McLaren on the comments says, Romania okay. Well, maybe if you scored another 25 points, there would be. <laughs> That's my favourite um, Radiohead album. Nice. <laughs> nice. Had, to, had to have a Radiohead reference in here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've trying to force Padavani work. <laughs> We've had Lane Scully. We want Ion. We want Padavani next. We've got to keep the Radiohead references up. I've, that's it. I've been, as much as Robbie talks about films on this podcast, I've been trying to force Radiohead references into like as many episodes as I can of this podcast <laughs> and generally unsuccessful. So you don't know how pissed off I am that you beat me to that one, Robbie. <laughs> I haven't mentioned films that much lately, but I do want to point out that Napoleon Dynamite was playing on the wing for Romania in this game. <laughs> so, then number 14, Adrian Pilotsky, mm-hmm. looks an awful lot like Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, He's okay. He's kind of like very tall winger with a kind of like protruding jaw and the kind of same curly hair. And we never got a close-up of him, so I can't be proven wrong that he doesn't look anything <laughs> like John Hader. But in my mind, they just had Napoleon Dynamite on the wing, and that's why he was so quiet. He was off getting the rest of his teammates to vote for Pedro. I mean, it's a hell of a back three. To very quickly segue onto the Romanian team, mm. having Napoleon Dynamite alongside our friend Vasil Ion and our enemy, Marcel Tuada, the, of course, mass adulterer of the Romanian yes. team. Who was kind of, at the time, very famous in Romania for basically being a bit of a playboy. Sorry, I feel like I cut you off. No, no, it was just it was it was just just comparisons between sort of like like you were saying about Bill McLaren in eighty seven and a sort of modern mm. game. I suppose if we want to draw comparisons that it's something I've been thinking like probably more than the actual game itself, to be honest. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, but the one of the main things that's that stood out to me is the fact that, you know, it's yes, it's the first World Cup, it's very sort of new and people aren't really sure what it's gonna be, but mm. There was still you still only have that one commentator. Yeah, and it's Bill McLaren watching the game, and he's talking to you, who's watching it. Yeah, he's not talking to an expert or a co-commentator or anything like that. He's just relaying what he sees and what he loves about the game back to the viewer, yes. and that's something that we don't really get in the modern game. We have like these kind of dramatic almost like poetic commentators still mm. like your, your Andrew Cotter's Miles Harrison's Eddie Butler's things like that who I think I'd love to just see one game like a, a decent sort of game like a rugby championship or a six nations game where it's just mm. them by themselves relaying the game back to the viewer rather than going for color commentary taking yeah. a break to listen to an expert that kind of thing I think it's a really important distinction to make because on most of the other games in the 1987 tournament, there have been multiple commentators. But I think with Bill McLaren, he's just so brilliant on his on his own that he he fills the air with genuine, <laughs> meaningful conversation. And you mm. like it took me until about 30 minutes into the game to realise he was on his own because the air was so filled with just joy and just the, like it didn't he didn't need something else like. He was having a conversation, as you as you mm. rightly put it, Adam. Like he's having a conversation with a viewer. It's something that Jamie Lyle touched on when we had him on this this podcast yeah. to talk about Scotland as well. That Bill McLaren really understands the importance of silence. Like yes. when he leaves a silence, it's largely deliberate. It allows you to soak something in or reflect on something or to see something. And he only speaks when he has something he wants to talk about. As mm. you say, he wants to relate to you, as as Adam said, and that 
that is a large part of why he's so special. It wasn't just his voice and his turn of phrase and his his warmth and enthusiasm. It's yeah. the fact that he understood the kind of craft of commentary That's as well it. as anyone else. You know, there are plenty of commentators now who have the craft right down are excellent. But Bill McLaren took every possible box you could ever want from a commentator. Mm. And he was just uniformly wonderful. And that's it. Like, there's a lot of times we've taken the piss out of commentators on this tournament. And, like, Bill McLaren probably says as many dumb things as any other commentator but does. I... But he says them with such, like, a joy and a sense of irony and mm. so much, like, fun and passion behind them, as you say. And, like, the fact that, like, he knows everything about all the Romanians and that he genuinely has a love for all of these players that he may or may not have seen play before. Mm. Uh, and not even just the players, like the coaches, the water boys, like the subs, the groundsmen. Like he was talking about the grounds people and like what great job they've done. And I pr- I'm pretty sure he mentioned them by name at some point. Yeah, I think he just looked everything around rugby. Mm. It's great. As you know, I think I mentioned the story the last time, the last game he commentated on. There's a clip from a documentary on him of his wife during a week beforehand when Scott was playing against Tonga or someone. And his wife would just have flashcards of all the Tongan players so he could learn their faces so that he knew them all as well as he knew the Scotland team. And he'd give them, you know, he'd say the name and give a fact or something about them just so that he knew the players. And again, that all comes across. Like he he knows and seems to care about this Romanian team. Yeah, um, yeah. With the point of Bill McLaren talking about Romania, I'm just going to play you arguably my favourite clip of commentary from this game. But the pass, Pilotsky said, Oi, son, that was a poor pass. In Romania. (laughs) (laughs) I love how he goes, like, you know, full borders with, Oi, son, that was a poor pass. (laughs) And then the pause, the pause is brilliant for us in Romanian. It's genuinely like comic genius on the comms by having a conversation with himself and just monologuing and not knowing if anyone finds that funny. Should we just make the entire podcast about Bill McLaren? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm happy to just brown nose Bill McLaren for an hour and a half. Mm. So to move back to, as we mentioned, the Romanian team. Yes. uh, This is an interesting game because the last time these two teams were played in 1984, Romania had won 28-22. So... There was actually something on this, and Romania had gone into the tournament, as we mentioned on the first episode of them, as a really strong underdog, as probably the strongest underdog team in the, the tournament. They'd beaten Italy earlier that year. They'd beaten Scotland a few years earlier. They'd beaten Wales a few years earlier. They'd beaten France five years before this. Mm. Um, Came off the win against Zimbabwe, of course, earlier in the tournament. Yeah. So they're on a winning run. So, and they need, if they won this game against Scotland, they could make the quarterfinals. They could have made the knockouts ahead of them. So there was a lot on this game and yet when you look at it when you look back on it with kind of the 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 guise of history of knowing where these two teams kind of paths diverge this is the end this world cup very much marks the end of a kind of golden era of romanian rugby that they got back to a little bit in the noughties but not really since not really on the scale where they're beating the six nations seems regularly in a way that if that happened now they might be in the conversation to be added to the as a seventh nation they were better at the time comparatively than georgia are now yeah they're better than italy are now comparatively yeah it's interesting you mention all that because like with as you say as you say this was kind of almost the golden age of romanian rugby as you say they were the the kind of tail end of it that's it they were competitive with the other sort of six nations as we know them Mm. uh and certainly as you say better than italy were at this stage and so we've looked before a couple of the romanian players and we did of course touch before on the fact that Two years after this World Cup, Christian mm. Raducanu, their number eight, defected from Romania to Scotland. Mm. 
So it makes you wonder if getting absolutely hammered by Scotland, 60 minutes into the game, he was there blowing on his knees, just going like, I'd rather be one of them, I'd rather live there. He heard Bill McLaren's commentary when watching it back, <laughs> Gary Lambert style, and just went, I want to be there, I want to be close to that guy. I want to see if everyone's like him. Um, so to pick up on the Romanian team then, they make a handful of changes to their previous outing, their previous time up against France. So we see Adrian Lungu switches from the wing into centre and we have a couple of changes in the pack, but the Constantine brothers remain in, who are quieter now than they have been in the previous two games. Thank God. Um, but boy, <laughs> Adam, the Constantine brothers in the second rows are the biggest shit houses in 1987 <laughs> rugby, which is saying even more than it is today. I, I have right written down the bottom of my page here. Mate, Constantine is a shit. I'm not sure which one I'm referring to, but literally all of those two do is cheat. Like, they they don't do anything legal in the whole tournament, including scoring tries. Yeah, and then out of nowhere, score a 50-metre try that they run in. in but, like, whilst they're running it in, they knock a few people out along the way and, you know, shoot a few people in the stands mm. and so on. I wonder if the rise of TMOing has led to the downfall of Romania rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so there's just, yeah, a handful of changes to Romania, but it's a pretty strong team. This is pretty much seen as the strongest team they could have put out. Mika Pasharev continues as captain. I have no idea why. Yeah, I mean, he played fairly well in one of the previous games, didn't he? He was kind of one of the standout players, I think. I don't know, I might have made that up. It's it's hard to remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and also, I guess, who else do they have that could be captain? Looking at their team, but I don't know. Yeah, do we want to look at Scotland? Yeah, so Scotland, again, their last game was against Zimbabwe, and they make a few changes on that, bringing back in a few of the first-choice players, such as Roy Laidlaw. But actually, it's largely the same team. They still have the likes of the back row of Ian Paxton, Finlay Calder, John Jeffrey, Der- Derek White, the big shit house. But at tight head, they do bring in the other change, Norrie Rowan, <laughs> who was 37 and winning his ninth cap, which he won over a very long kind of career of, he won 13 caps over about 13 years and he'd kind of get drafted in every so often it, it feels very much like a Wayne Pivak selection that yes so it's funny you mentioned the Christian Redicani mm. so uh Nori Rowan is an interesting figure in and a very key figure in Christian Radicanu's life right no so Christian Radicanu uh, as we mentioned, Romania was in a real political shit state at the time. Like we've covered it in previous episodes. Yes. Um, and he did effectively want to run away. He was, you know, scared yeah. of his own life largely. And Rowan, as a job, used to excavate the Edinburgh vaults, the tunnels underneath the city. Right? What? Which, I mean, you compare that to nowadays where players are just professional rugby players. The fact they had a tight head who excavates hidden tunnels under the city. Jesus! So that was what he did for a living, right? It, it makes me wonder who was doing that while he was at the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get someone to cover short term that, isn't it? Right, exactly. It's hard to just draft someone in. So... When Christian Redicanu first defected to Scotland, first moved to Scotland, right? In 1989, Romania sent members of secret police after him when he was seeking asylum in order to find him and bring him back home. And Nori Rowan, having access to all these secret tunnels under Edinburgh, hid him in one for a no! week. No! <laughs> oh. 
You are fucking kidding me. So, so why, are we these two... about, why are we talking about rugby and not this <laughs> round? <laughs> so these two played a rugby match against each other, yep. not knowing that one day they would be allies in like a life or death situation. Yep, they were both they were both uh, teammates at Boromir RFC, and then when <laughs> when Radicanu was clearly like. I've just found out the Romanian secret police are coming out to catch me and bring me back to a corrupt nation. Nori Rowan was just like, hey, you know, I know exactly how to solve this one. <laughs> that led him down into a tunnel underneath Edinburgh. It's incredible because, like, you hear about, like, say, uh, James Davis was just signing for the Scarlets. You know, he stayed with his brother Jonathan for a little bit in his flat or whatever. You hear stories mm. like that where, you know, Jeff Hassler and Tyler Ardron stayed together in their time at the Ospreys and lived together for a little while. Instead, <laughs> you got Norrie Rowan just saying, don't worry, pal, I know that you're about to get nuked, but I've got a cave for you if you want it. Rowan then later ran for the Scottish Parliament elections in 1999. Oh, my God. And... <laughs> You've got also... at least one, though. Yeah, he now runs a number of pubs and bars in Edinburgh. Oh, nice. If ever we do a pod social up there, we know exactly where to go. Um, so he runs the Tron Tavern, which okay. uh, apparently... Is that the cave or the pub? <laughs> I think it's probably both. So it's apparently tradition that visiting players after internationals go and visit that after right. playing Scotland in Murrayfield. Hiya, son. Do you want to pint but... the cave water? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if Rowan started that rumour himself. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if and... he might be the demented mole that Bill McLaren... Uh, mm. <laughs> the... He's always digging his Norio. Either that or the demented mole is one of his many pubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, but like, was, was, was it even a sanctioned job? To dig tunnels <laughs> under Edinburgh. <laughs> was... <laughs> he just did it. He just fancied a day out. It was either a sanctioned job or a sanctioned hobby. It was one or the other. But, like, well, we've been round the Edinburgh vaults. We have, we yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They were excavated by Norrie Rowan, the Scotland International Tired Prop. One thing I also enjoy is, so, according to Christian Raducanu's Wikipedia page, mm. his father is a high-ranking member of the Romanian military who was aware of all of this and the turmoil it might result in. He advised that he takes his trip to Scotland. Mm. So, was Christian Raducanu's father then having to stay zip about the fact that the Romanian military were then after his own son and having to just be secretly, like, in on it and be like, oh, yeah, let's go catch this bastard Radicanu, who I have no idea who he is, of no relation to me. Genuinely a great spy movie in this. There is. Why hasn't this been made, starring like, <laughs> starring probably Benedict Cumberbatch as Christian Radicanu? <laughs> and Alan Jacobson as Nari Warwin. <laughs> I think this would be great. I this, think this could be made. This could I, be your masterpiece, Robbie. This is it. This is where the channel is ahead. Yeah. yeah, it's never mind Invictus Two, the Sia Khaleesi story. The rugby <laughs> movie that really needs to be made is Christian Radicanu and his defection from Romania to Scotland. <laughs> and look, when the rugby t- rugby scenes are acted out, I think we need to get all of the previous guests of this podcast into act them because mm. it'll be a similar standard to mm. 1987, <laughs> except Blaine Scully. Yes, yeah, Blaine out. Scully just charging through all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. He can play John Kerwin. That's fine. So I'm playing in a, a Pride in Touch tournament run by former guest on the podcast, Nick Heath. 
mm. uh, at the end of June. And they've just mentioned Katie Dale and McLean's playing in it. So that's <laughs> going to be exciting. Yeah, um, nice knowing you. But um, Nick suggested to me when I was first saying, I was, you know, first talking mm. about me going and playing in it. He suggested, oh, why don't you try and get a team and try and get a team together? Uh, so I had a quick flick through my phone book and just see whose number that I've got is a yeah. good rugby player. And, and I noticed, like, I was scrolling through it. It's most like people I was at uni with and people who've never heard of rugby before. I was going to say, it says a lot that you messaged me first, <laughs> asking if I wanted to play. And just like, no, I mean, terrible rugby player, sure. But then I get to, like, Brian Habana, and I kind of <laughs> go, like, oh, right, yeah, okay, that's kind of... I mean, I doubt he's going to come over for a touch tournament. Sure. But... It really stood out. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a fun, delightful moment to be scrolling through people I went to uni with, thinking, could they play rugby? Would they come out? And then just see like, oh, there's, 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 there's former World Player of the Year and the top try scorer in the Rugby World Cup of all time. Right? Okay. Same have you, thing. have you ever like wondered whether you're just one day just gonna like drunkenly call him? I should do it, shouldn't I? I'm surprised yeah. I haven't yet. Yeah, just booty call, you know. Yeah, just say hi to yeah. Brian, my close yeah. friend. Yeah, so I've spoken to three times. That was a boast. So, should we move on to the game now that we've covered the, the uh, teams and the remarkable spy, spy stories contained within? Yeah, I think we should certainly start looking at the pre-match. Oh, because there was a lot of stuff going on pre-match. I mean, because this match was played in the Scottish flavours of Dunedin, uh, hmm. as Bill McLaren so joyfully referred to it as. And I'll tell you what, the, this stadium loved Scotland. <laughs> So, Bill McLean mentions it. They said they've got an incredible 250 to 300 Scotland fans have travelled over. Yeah. Which, you compare that to the thousands who travelled over these days at World Cup, it does show just how much the tournament's changed and grown. Sure, yeah. But the good thing about this coverage is that they show the pitch, and then they actually show us the Scottish dressing room Mm. as they're getting ready, and they show the referee knocking on the door saying, you know, come out now, whatever. Bill McLaren says on the commentary, lots of shouting from the Scottish dressing room. I don't know what it did to the Romanians, but it scared the life out of me. <laughs> and then we hear some of it as well as the referee knocks on the dressing room t- door. Mm. And they all sort of scream, yes! So it's finally time to go and batter some Romanians. It's, it's, it's something that I've noticed that we that this has never been, that hasn't been improved on since 1987 is... The camera trying to get the moment where the referee or the touch judge opens the door mm. into the changing room and the players come out. It never, it, they either bump up against something or the team is not ready yet and they have to close the door again quickly or the team's taking a while to come out and the camera's just stood there and the touch judge is just waiting. It never, ever works. And I wonder why they still bother sometimes. <laughs> I think the only time I think they've ever got it right was Sia Khaleesi leaving the dressing room for the World Cup finals. It's just as well, isn't it? They nailed the timing on that, and they've never got it either side. It's like they peaked at the big occasion and then can't do it. At the, you know, It's that kind of, could he do it on a wet Sunday afternoon in sale? <laughs> no, the camera team directors can't do it. They can only do it for the World Cup final. Of course, as we see uh, these cheerleaders dancing to music, they evidently can't hear because the camera is not picking it up. We then see the Scotland team running out and we've seen them coming out the dressing room, this big build-up. Like, oh, it's finally Scotland are coming out. And you see them running out and actually Romania are just coming out too at the same time. Just nobody's like noticed them as well. So you just got like, wait, Romania are coming too? To pipes? Like they're playing Scotland the Brave as both teams are running out? You think this is the moment Christian Radicali defected yeah. in his head? <laughs> Fuck this, so I want the attention. I just, yeah, I just want some attention when people look at me. I just have written down at one point, guys, Romania are here too. Yeah. 
Adam, can I ask you about the anthems and your impression of watching these anthems? <laughs> I, I the, the the circle aspect shocked me. Yeah, shocked and confused me. <laughs> it was it was um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that like something went. It sent off an alarm in my brain that <laughs> there's not a line. There's a circle, and that's wrong. But it just did. And I got to be honest. Throughout the anthems, I was only thinking, probably for the first 10 minutes of the match, I was only thinking about Romania's jersey, mm. especially with the sleeves rolled up, because that was a football kit. That wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But it's beautiful. What an excellent kit that is. It's really nice. I feel like we haven't paid enough attention to the jerseys in general. On mm. this kind of series, like because I, I feel like you sort of, you know, eighties is still sort of in that time in rugby, at least, where it's just block colours and a collar, mm. and it's not really until sort of the nineties where you start to get a bit more sort of flair on some of the kits. But the the Romanian with the with the the, the bright the bright yellow, almost neon yellow, yeah, and the the Adidas stripes, it was just oh, it's just perfect. Yeah, the kind of fade on no, not the fade. The kind of like stencil lining on the numbers on the back. Yes, yeah, the yeah, and like the old Romanian logo is just looks so great on those uh, on those jerseys as well. Mm. So yeah, when when once I'd got over the circle shock, uh, that's pretty much all I was focusing on. <laughs> so nothing to do with rugby. <laughs> why? Why would it be? <laughs> <laughs> A bit like how the Wallabies recently have changed the shade of their jersey in order for it to stand out more, uh, making it kind of very much gold, but to an orangey degree rather than yellow. Mm. This, the shade and the brightness of that yellow would never be confused with Australia or with any other team. It's extremely Romanian, that really bright kind of like yeah. almost acrylic, like almost like sickly yellow shade that they used. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, glorious. Magnificent. Mm. It really is. With these anthems then, so to accommodate for the amount of limelight that was on Scotland, uh, they give Romania two extra verses in the national anthem, which they just neglect and just stop singing along and just like, come on, can we actually get on with the kickoff now? And then, of course, they've already played Scotland the Brave uh, as the team for running out. So as they start to play it again, instead of singing along, Scotland do a team talk yeah, uh, well- during the anthem. So they all huddle up, and then in the middle we have Colin Deans, the captain, mm. who is also the shortest player in the team. Yes, right. And so they're all looking down at Colin Deans quite intimidatingly because you know, like Derek White can't help but be scary. Finlay Calder can't help but be scary. Sure. So they're all looking down at Colin Deans, and it 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 all looks a bit like they they've ganged up to start on him in a West Side Story <laughs> kind of way. <laughs> Like, it looks like they're all trying to intimidate the tiny kid who's now desperately trying to talk his way they're out They're all about it. to push him and he's there just going, yeah. I'll kill all of you, kill all your families. I don't know why he's Irish now. It just, it looks incredibly, yeah, like a fight scene from West Side, from like the, the original 50s West Side story. So what, what he says in his team talk is, let's do it for those guys in the tartan over there. Uh, they've come a long way for this. Let's show them what to do. Like they have to then come on the pitch afterwards and do it, like do an exact replica. Uh, this is a great idea. What <laughs> if after each game, play, fans had to come on and exactly recreate it? 
there was, there was, so I've I've watched a lot of Taskmaster on television, the Channel Four mm. program, and there was one task they did where it was have the most fun, like as a team, like have the most fun, and then it's exactly recreate your fun with the, ta- <laughs> the real task. And like obviously, when you ask comedians to have the most fun, they try and do something extremely extravagant or mm. extremely ambitious, and so making them ag- exactly recreate that was was just generally very funny. So I think it's kind of the opposite effect having 80s rugby players try and recreate like oh is this the point where i drop the ball or is this the point where i run <laughs> over the touchline i I'd, I'd love uh let's do it for those guys in tartan over there to become the official motto of the scottish rugby union <laughs> at murrayfield they never know which one you're talking to <laughs> it's the beauty of it it encompasses all fans <laughs> If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So looking at the game, and Mm. as we get to kick off, so I was probably into about 10 minutes into this game when I realized, and I want to know both of your perspectives on this, I've never seen a rugby game that feels more like a Monty Python sketch than this one. <laughs> the, from the very first kickoff, which I found hilarious. The, the first minute of this game is so eventful. Yeah, right? To the, so, the first four passages of play involve someone getting injured. <laughs> so right from the kickoff, Scotland regather the kickoff. They string together five really beautiful offloads. I mean, given, given that Romania just decided to not mark that half of the pitch. <laughs> That's what's really funny. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. Was Scotland, Romania were all probably stood about their own 22. They didn't know how to stand for a kickoff. And then Scotland just go, all right, we'll just kick it 10 metres then. And like, just like, you fucking fools. And it wasn't like, even just like a stand there. When, when you think of like a modern sort of what you would, like, in NFL terms, like an onside kick where you try and mm. just get it the 10 metres and then regather. It's either, you know, a, a, a grubber along the ground or you put it really high so you get you get, you get 
you have time to get your team in position to 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 get them up in the air and to regather. This was just like a standard <laughs> short kickoff that if if any Romanians were in the right position, could have just could have taken easily before the Scottish players had got even five meters past the halfway line. Like it's... any any Romanian in a fifteen meter radius would have at least challenged for the ball. But I just found it so funny that, as you say, he just chips it. Yeah. I've just pushed it back and you're completely right. I didn't even pay attention. <laughs> the closest Romanian is 15 metres away. <laughs> and that's by the time he regathers it. <laughs> like, never mind when the kick goes up. They've just left about 30 metres of the pitch undefended completely. Like, it looks like it has to be a double bluff. And Scotland just kind of just go, oh, you're not going to mark it. We'll just kick it there. It's that simple. And so it then makes sense why they can so easily beat the Romanians. Because mm. they then string together a passage. They called back for forward pass in the end. But it would have been a really glorious try with them all yeah. uploading and taping everything. But one of them's called a slight forward pass. But like they've only got to draw two players and they're in. <laughs> because no one has stood anywhere nearby. And then, yeah, the, the, the forward pass is given for what would have been one of the funniest tries in the World Cup. If they had scored that try five seconds into the game, just because Romania just were asleep and didn't know how to play rugby, it would have been really, really great. Then the forward pass is given, and in the, the preamble to the game, there was a lot of build-up given towards Scott Hastings in the mm. 12 jersey. And I was looking forward to seeing Scott Hastings play, actually, because I've never really seen him play, uh, mm. other than maybe a few highlights and stuff, but I've never really seen him play a full match. And so you know, we I've... missed that as well, yeah. Like, he came to the World Cup as part of the squad, then pulled his hamstring... Um, yes. in the, the lead-in, and this was his first game. We didn't mention that in the Scotland team. Uh, mm. So he was brought in for the first game of the tournament here. Yeah. And and yeah, like, Scott Hastings was always renowned as kind of quite a big lad who can handle the ball quite well. And mm. given the standard of 12s we've seen in this tournament so far, I was looking forward to seeing him, particularly linking up with his brother Gavin, who has a fantastic game that we'll come on mm-hmm. to. But one minute into the game, not even, his hamstring goes from yeah. underneath him. And it's like normally that would be funny but i just struggled to laugh at it this time round yeah i mean you feel from a bit don't you mm. finally coming into the world cup finally having on the other side of the world yeah travel having been literally hamstrung the entire mm. tournament by this injury and then it just giving way seconds into the game the first tackle he takes yeah. and it's gone Hamstring injuries are the worst, man. Mm. Like, you can just go running and just pull up with it, and it's horribly painful. And, like, it's not like you've broken your leg. You've just tweaked your hamstring. Like, when you talk to people about it, you know, like, it's it's a horrible injury to have. Uh, yeah. I really, really felt from going off, yeah, literally chasing that kickoff, he got injured, which must have been awful. It, like, him making it through, if there was a warm-up, the warm-up, um, <laughs> uh, and then to go out in the first five seconds of the game is awful. And, you know, thankfully he does go on to play in a World Cup after this. Thankfully he does um, go on to play in future World Cups. But you do feel, you can't help but feel for him, his chance of playing this inaugural tournament completely taken away from him. Yeah. Um, Doesn't go on to recover in time to play for the quarterfinal. This is his tournament over and done with. He gets one minute of game time, which must be like a a complete low in terms of playing in the World Cup and playing the fewest minutes, right? Because like we had on the in New Zealand one, as well, Joe Simpson played something like eight minutes mm. in yeah. that World Cup. Is that th- this must this must be the lowest anyone's managed? He managed about fifty seconds before it's going g- off injured. Got to be the biggest 
flight time to minutes played ratio. Yes. Uh, on just on topic of injuries, I don't know whether either of you had this sort of like noted down for later on, but just while I'm thinking of it, the mm. a bit later on in the match, Bill McLaren was talking about the concussion protocol mm-hmm. of the eighties, which I thought was, I mean, both sort of in a way, I was like, oh great, they they had an awareness of concussion, and that, that if you, I mean, it was only three weeks at the time they were saying the concussion protocol. <laughs> like if you if you're confirmed to have a concussion, you have to take a break of three weeks, and then you can just get back to it. Mm. But at the same, you know, you sort of think, oh, great, that's that's at least something. But then, yeah. but then I got thinking, well, a lot of the argument that people come out with the, you know, the game's gone soft kind of people, mm. and the whole idea about rugby players, especially like in the early two thousands, a lot of the players now sort of coming out with with concussion issues, saying that, oh, we couldn't have known, or people trying to defend it, saying they couldn't have known at the time how yeah. it's going to affect them. Mm. So to hear that in 1987, that concussion protocols were in effect mm. Um, mm. and how little we've learned since then or yeah. been willing to learn and change is yeah. made me quite sad, really. Yeah. And if there's been points in this World Cup where players have taken a shot ahead and were clearly concussed and would never be allowed to play. Well, you say never allowed to play on these days, but the Tom Francis thing happened in the Six Nations. Mm. Mm. And then just played on and played the rest of that game, but and similar for all manner of injuries as well, where players have just been forced to play on through injuries. Yeah, and it happens here with this. You know, there isn't a replacement warming up for Hastings, so they have to play two passages of play before they eventually get yeah. someone off. But all this feeds into, I think, there was a awareness of concussions were a thing, but it feels a bit like they just weren't taken seriously. Mm. You know, or it was seen as only if you really don't know where you are and you've kind of lost your memory for a few minutes, it can affect you. Yeah. Um, and it does, as you say, make it even more alarming that we haven't learned from this. Yeah. You know, or it took rugby so long to learn from it. It's only really started happening in the last five years, you know, 20 plus years on, 40 years on from this World Cup almost, that we start to actually learn the lessons that were evident then that we could have we could have had things like this in place by the time the game turned professional in 1995, you know, and so on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. As you say, it hadn't even occurred to me that they have a protocol and I'm glad they did. Yeah. It's genuinely more than I expected. And him saying the three weeks off thing, I was genuinely half expecting like if they had a protocol, it's just to be, see how you feel the next day and then maybe play the next game, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I think as the protocol, the kind of, there wasn't like a HIA process that they had to go through and pass at the time. I think the doctor literally looked and went like, yeah, you can still walk. Yeah. And that was it. Or just ask, how are you? And they'd go, yeah, I'm fine. And that yeah. was it. And because also it was an era when forwards in particular really trade on just being hard. Mm. Um, and so you would pretend to try and hide things far more. Of course. Yeah. Rather than necessarily like putting your team first, never mind yeah. your own health long term. Yeah. And your pride. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I think it's a very important point. So, <laughs> Scotland have to set a scrum, and Finley Calder goes onto the wing because they're down a player. I didn't clock this. Yep, Bill McLaren pulls us up. Finley Calder goes to play on the wing for a passage huh. whilst they're waiting for someone to come on. I saw that. So Alan Tate goes down injured on sort of the second passage of play, mm. and it just feels like is this Wales in twenty fifteen? <laughs> <laughs> Both centres getting injured in the first minute. Like we can bring Lloyd Williams on. 
Yeah, yeah. And then Adam, you can sell him some towels. <laughs> yeah. Did you tell that story in the podcast before? I I, I honestly can't remember, but um, the the selling of the towels happened before the World Cup, so I like to think they were magic. <laughs> Do you want um, to tell that story now, Adam? Uh, it's, it's it's not particularly exciting. I, I, I no, 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 no. The, the, that's the point. We don't want exciting stories. <laughs> I, I I love it. I think it's very exciting. It's just, and I think uh, about it all the time. I, I used I used to work for a company that um made custom uh like embroidered clothes and sometimes towels. My boss was away for a week. I had a bit more sort of free reign with what customers I took on and and didn't. Well, I I thought I did, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, got a got a phone call from Lloyd Williams. He needed some towels for the boys. <laughs> they were all getting presents for each other before the uh the before going off to their World Cup camps in twenty fifteen. Mm. Got that got that sorted for him within a week. And like I said, I like to think those were uh they, they were they were um like gold embroidered with the initials of all the different players. It's mm. very cool. Which is which is why I like to think they were magic. Um, but only for Lloyd Williams because it mm. didn't work for anyone else. It, 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 it <laughs> yeah. severely injured everyone else on the team. But um, turn Lloyd Williams into the best winger in the world. Exactly. Yeah, I like to think that he had a particularly wet left foot, and he was he was drying it really, really thoroughly before the match. And uh, yeah, wait a second. This gives me an idea. <laughs> I do, I do love that story, and I've heard this secondhand via Robbie before. But but to hear it from the source is it, it is it is a truly magical story. And look, what's really important is that you've just willed Lloyd Williams into the podcast. So our next episode <laughs> will be with Lloyd Williams talking specifically about towels and nothing else. If if if, if that happens, I would be. I think I think that would be like the full circle of my life complete. <laughs> uh, sell Lloyd Williams towels and then hear Lloyd Williams talk about towels. That would be, <laughs> that would be it for me. I'd love it if we got Lloyd Williams and asked about nothing but the towels. <laughs> <laughs> not his, his, what is it now? Like 12 year career as an international. Yeah. Yeah. Not him creating one of the most important moments in rugby history. Yeah. Not, not his 40 his... odd Wales caps. Like, no, and like I think, I think he's up to about 50,000 Cardiff caps now. <laughs> He did ask for one point green and gold towels, and I'd say, Lloyd, you're not South Africa, you're Wales. <laughs> We've got Australia in our pool, Lloyd. <laughs> How do you take it? Uh, very well. He's a, lo- he's a lovely man. <laughs> from, you know, I, I, I for, from the point of view of someone selling him towels, I, I think he's a lovely person. I, I can't speak for any other interaction that anyone may have had for him, but... Sure. In that particular scenario, if you ever find yourself in a position where you're selling Lloyd Williams towels, it's <laughs> a good tip. You you you'll be you're you're in for a treat. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, learn a lot about someone from how they treat like waiting staff and how they treat mm, you know employees true. and shops and so on. And so, I think what better truer test of rugby player than how they treat someone selling them towels. Lloyd Williams is great at buying towels. Andy can box kick off both feet. He's <laughs> one of the best Cremars Wales has ever produced, evidently. Would you say he's in the top five towel customers that you've ever dealt with? Oh, top top one. Wow. Um, yeah, I. He was the only one I sold towels to. Um, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> 
<laughs> you see, you see t- towels wasn't really a common thing. Like that, that okay. was part of the. So he was, he's the bottom towel customer you've ever had. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's simultaneously the worst person I've ever sold towels to. Absolute nightmare. Well, no, the, the thing is, my, my my boss wasn't happy because I I sanctioned the the order with like mm. less than a week to fulfil it, and these are, and you know, it wasn't like one design being printed or embroidered on these towels. They were different letters, so they all had to be individually <laughs> set up on these machines. And uh, we didn't really do towels normally, <laughs> uh, so the machines weren't designed for them. My 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 boss, neither the manufacturing staff were 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 happy with me. Yeah, I think it's really cool is that nobody on this podcast has ever sold towels to somebody with less whales caps than Lloyd Williams. <laughs> I probably never will. Yep. Yeah. But surely they'd just be delighted that you were selling towels to the Welsh squad. See, see, this is where it's this is where it circles back to the podcast. My mm. boss was Scottish. Oh, oh. okay. So, <laughs> or was so he a Romanian pretending to be Scottish? <laughs> so, if Important he was selling towels to Henry Pergos, then it would have been a very different deal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think actually that infamous penalty, the Craig Bear moment, Bernard Foley slotting it at the death, was actually entirely because? No one gave Ross Ford a towel. So he couldn't drive the ball off, so the penalty's given. He's it all together. That explains it. Look, one day we're going to get on to 2015 in this podcast, and we had better have our Ross Ford towel special before then, so we have all the answers. <laughs> there's so much, there's so, this is such a deep rabbit hole. We're, we're really we need, need we Nori need Rowan towel. to, we we need need Nori to excavate this rabbit hole. It's so deep. <laughs> Very good analogy. I like it. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll do the towel retrospective probably after this series. You think, Robbie? Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to go in depth on. Towels. We need to. We need to know a lot about rugby players' views on towels, <laughs> just generally. Uh, rugby. Um, the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Game of rugby. There's the moment that you were on about earlier, Adam. I would like you to go into a little more depth. You've teased it a little bit, but now is your time to shine on the great footballing collision on the sideline between Vassie Lyon and Matt Duncan. So, yeah, this is what I really bought into the match. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd sort of, I'd gone over the circle and the jerseys and uh, it was, it was, it was a funny start to the game anyway, but the, the, the ball had sort of rolled out into touch and Romanian fullback, I went to clear it, but well, well, actually clear it get rid of it so Scotland couldn't do anything with it. Booted it out into the stands while it was already out. Matt Duncan wasn't pleased with this turn of events. And I think Bill McLaren went kind of easy on him in terms of it kind of... The way way he described it was that Duncan went in to try and just trap the ball with his foot, basically, and try and stop it from being booted out into the stands. What really happened is that he went like studs up into Ion's ankle <laughs> with like a flying slide tackle, which I thought was gonna like end the game for him, like the way he went down. It was an odd moment of quite shocking violence, which just which I feel should have led to a fight. But didn't. Yeah. Disappointing lack of fight to say What's you removed. What's going on? You've got the Constantine brothers. 
Do they just not care about their fullback? Do they just not care about Ion? Because normally they will fight anything. I don't think anyone was watching. <laughs> it was sort of it was behind the 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 pack and everything like mm. that. They they were, you know, I almost just sort of doing shit fullback fullback things, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I don't think anyone expected a, a sort of slide tackle into the ankle. <laughs> So they weren't really looking for it to 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 fight back against. I don't know. It's it just, yeah. I was led to believe Finley Calder was always watching. He was watching the guys in Tartan on the sideline. Oh, that's true. He has to he has to remember who he's playing for. Yeah, maybe maybe the boys in Tartan were the football team, and they were showing them how to do it. That's a good point. So they were both trying to teach each other their own methods. So they know what to do. Yeah. You've cracked the code, Adam. That and that also, sense. that explains so much. I mean, we'll come on to like the standard of kicking in this game was fantastic. Like the the goal kicking was I... brilliant. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Like there was only two missed kicks in the entire game. Uh, like we'll come and on like, to it. But like Gavin no, Hastings so broke a record. Like let's kind of, let's kind of touch on this now because yeah, like, Romania in the second half do the most pointless, beautiful, wonderful, incredible strike I've ever seen. Like, I think it is Ion himself who nails a penalty from the halfway line, like mm. on the angle. Mm. Yeah. To put Romania only 21 points behind. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, like, the amount of things that change in rugby that you understand because, like, mm. again, nope nobody's trialed things yet so how would they know them it's not been coached but mathematics is one thing that's just come a long <laughs> way in rugby like people have realized that three points doesn't get you that much closer it's incredible isn't it the way Romania is so reliant on kicking goals and it seems to lull Scotland is this kind of false close test match mm. and so despite being 20 points up suddenly because Romania are kicking goals from everywhere you know to try and catch up Scotland's not doing it in response yeah 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 like oh no if they're kicking we must only be nine points ahead <laughs> yeah I mean, especially especially because uh, like any form of set piece is just a, a, a coin toss in this era yeah. it's mm. not it, it, do, it doesn't matter whose possession it is in the scrum or the lineup because it'll it'll be thrown or fed in and something will happen, and then the ball will come out either one side, um, or in one case in Scotland's favour, like through the side, and then out through another angle, and then for a try. But um, <laughs> if I was a coach at the time, mm. apparently not bothering to coach any form of set piece <laughs> whatsoever, <laughs> yeah. I would just say go for as many of them as you can, because odds are you'll yeah. end up getting something out of it apparently you don't even have to really try you, you can just you can just hope and something will happen in those kind of set pieces which is, is another thing i noticed like the speed of setting up for for set pieces obviously mm. we, we all know we've all talked about like the difference in times between like scrums and how quickly they were set up back then and between now but even the line outs like there's there's no there's no huddle before a line out or mm. Or you know decisions on what call you're going to make from it. You just you just turn up. Someone's going to throw the ball, and if it lands near you, great. You can kind of pat it back to your side, and that's that's where the strategy begins and ends. So there's no need to sort of have a huddle or anything like that beforehand. Mm, yeah. 
so yeah, it's it's just it's one of those things I, I, I expect going back into sort of amateur rugby is seeing that kind of thing. But also looking at it and going, this this game's been played at a pretty high level for about a hundred years at this point. Yeah. And they 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 still don't give a shit about two of the most important aspects of the game. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very true. well, like, and it's so jarring having watched having watched a lot of uh, Super Rugby from the nineties back for the Eddie Jones video, which is just going up up by mm. the time people listen to this, and indeed as we record this, yes. Um, and comparing it to this in nineteen eighty seven, it's so difficult at this point in eighty seven to control possession. Mm. Like you, you can't really keep hold of the ball as a tactic because yeah. Ruck's such a free for all. Phase play isn't a word. No, no, it isn't no. a thing. Like, and like as you pointed out before, Robbie, like the referees just blow up anything as unplayable, which then yeah. leads to a scrum, which, as you say, Adam, is a lottery and the whole thing. Like, you can't rely on phase play too well. But that, that said, like maybe that's why everyone throws stupid offloads all the time. Yeah, it's far closer to football in the way that possession can change hands very easily out of nowhere. Yeah, which is something that rugby doesn't have nowadays because you can control possession. And it creates this kind of like very different kind of given flow, mm. um, wherein it's kind of yeah, you there's far more difference between attack and defense these days, I think. Uh, whereas at the time everything was quite fluid and yeah. you had to you had to act as though you could turn from attack into defense and defense into attack at any given moment. I like that as a as a as a mindset towards this, actually. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I think that's very accurate the way that like you say it's more like football. It's more like table football in a way that like (laughs) you you, like you have your like set way of standing, which is like, oh, if the ball comes to me, then we'll adapt um, Mm. and we'll just flick it in that direction. It's kind of the way it works. Mm. Right. I don't know. I I wonder if it would have been possible for defenses to improve as they have to this standard Mm. without first handling and general core skills improving to the point. Like, obviously, if you dropped a modern team into play 87, like, even a championship team or the most, or, like, a top-level amateur team would be beating most of these sides. Yeah, um, yeah. Just because of, kind of, the level of innovation and level of... Structure. You know, like accuracy and yeah, structure yeah. that come into the game changed it fundamentally, and just, like, focus yeah. and so on. And, like, things have dripped down from professional rugby into yeah. amateur rugby. But not to say that, like, the players in the top amateur divisions are better players, but, like, they would beat them just because they, yes. they have a better understanding of the game. No, like, I 100% you know. agree with you, yeah, um, yeah. And they would approach it entirely differently in a far more advanced, thoughtful way. Yeah. But, yeah, there's a... I think there are... The more I watch this World Cup, the more I think, actually, it probably did need 30 years to advance to the point that mm. we are now. Sure. Um, you couldn't have just dropped one of those aspects in and everyone would have caught up. Yeah. Um. But also, yeah, as I said, it was so jarring watching Super Rugby from the 90s because suddenly teams are controlling possession and teams are running phases. And like there is an expectation if you can set up for the following phase rather than just going, well, it's going to be a scrum or yeah. a line out immediately. Yeah. God, and, and that yeah. Changed in 10, in 10 years, in 10 years. Yeah. Um, so some, you know, some things change around the 95 World Cup and I suppose that starts to happen. Mm. Um, and then Eddie Jones comes along and starts making phase play, like attacking phases good. into yeah. a into a thing that teams did deliberately yes, uh, rather than something that was now possible somewhere in that mid-90s. Mm. But that's yeah. still only 10 years on from this World Cup. Like, we're 10 years away from Eddie Jones creating the three-phase move. Yeah. Everybody go and watch the uh, Squid Rugby video on Eddie Jones, which you probably have if you're listening to this. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if any, anyone listening has heard of this guy, Squidge, um, 
So, um, Robbie, would you mind just muting your microphone a second? Yeah, yeah Adam, what are your, what's your opinion on him? <laughs> oh, he makes, uh, makes decent videos. A lot of, really? Uh, hate, he hates, hates Ireland, though. Absolutely hates Ireland. <laughs> he does hate Ireland. I yeah. think that some of the editing on the videos is quite good. I think sometimes some of the editing is good. I think sometimes some of the analysis is okay in patches but it depends uh which of the two members of that team has done it i think the script writing and the voiceovers and all of the, the stuff the clever stuff in it that uh requires hard work and dedication and like a unique kind of like actual some sort of talent i think that's all dog shit to be honest i don't think that's actually any good yeah i just think he's just generally a little bit overrated he is genuinely agree um <laughs> the, the best thing about the squid rugby project as it is is that if it wasn't me i would be ripping the piss out of that guy all the time <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh, it's like bloody what squid would say here yeah and that's it'll be a like, really it'll good be a running joke for me if like oh but squid would reckon this is pretty good if it wasn't literally me it's a good point do i only like squid rugby because it's my brother I've never like, really I'm thought sure, this before. I'm sure like, I'd watch the videos and I'd be like, oh, it's still, you know, grand. If, but if I wasn't related to you, do you think I would enjoy the videos? Probably. Uh, you'd probably every now and again go, oh, I think that was an interesting point, but would yeah. be far, far, far more down on it if we hadn't <laughs> had in-depth discussions about George Ford. Yeah, yeah, that's before it. Before like... you watching that video on George Ford. Yeah. We're, we're, I think we're probably both quite cynical when it comes to that kind of thing, so yeah, uh, it makes sense. Probably me more so. <laughs> yeah, Squidge is fine, probably. Yeah, I don't okay. know. You know, don't really watch the videos. <laughs> so, <laughs> podcast's pretty good, by the way, though. I've heard podcasts, podcasts are good. really Never listened really to it, but it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, we um, get some great guests on. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <guy>. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we're only an hour and five minutes or so into this podcast, but should we talk about Alan Tate's try? The first try of the game. Nice try. Lovely try. Really Lovely nice, try. isn't it? It's I especially nice to like see forwards do things. Mm, that's it. So like it starts with Parashkiv, the Romanian captain, attempting a box kick, which goes straight into the man next to him's hands, and that is, is John Jeffrey. Immediately after off a scrum, he takes a quick tap on Romania in a penalty and runs into his own forwards, gets penalised for accidental offside. Yes. So he has two dick of the day worthy moments in a row. He does, he does. But yeah, it goes straight into the hands of John Jeffrey. He does it makes a really good catch while mm. the ball is like in flight at some pace as well. Mm. Um and yeah, very quickly feeds it inside to Wiley, isn't it? Who quick hands back on the inside to Tate, who's running great. Calder, okay, yeah, yeah. And then Wiley as well has a really yeah. quick touch on the ball. But Calder steps like four people. Of course he does. Of course he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's great because there's like a moment of like great sort of balance and kind of reaction time to to catch that ball. Then a moment of great sort of agility, as you say, followed up by a great moment of handling, and then a nice line to finish it by Tate. Mm. It's just all round a very nice try. No defense, like, but it's lovely. Oh no, 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 not at all. But who cares? Yeah, I I I, I loved how much the the Scottish forwards got involved with with the handling aspect mm. of the the play throughout the game, not just in the first try. I think they had some of the quickest hands. But they probably they they probably had quicker hands than the backs. To be honest, they mm. they would they would sort of get it out of the the cluster of Romanians that had surrounded the ball carrier, mm. and then the backs would kind of do the rest. Generally, the but the, the the speed with which they were just sort of passing it along was very satisfying. Yeah, I, I mean, like 
in some ways, I don't blame them for having quick hands when you look at what they were up to at the Ruck. And so it probably leads <laughs> oh, God, the, to a level. The, the Ruck is um, something special. I mean, if anything, it's it's easier for the ref because no matter what penalty they call for, it's fine. There, there will there will have been a penalty. <laughs> yeah. And at one at one point, Bill McLaren says that there's a ruck penalty, and he says, uh, and that's a penalty for going over the top or holding onto the ball or not releasing the player. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, yeah, fine. It, it could have been any one of those three. And yeah, there's. <sighs> No reason for it not to be any ruck. It's just that it seems like the ref decided, right, yeah, enough enough time has gone now without there being a penalty. I'll just ping that guy there for, for that thing. Because the referee in this game, who was Stephen Hilditch of Ireland, he tends to blow his whistle, then wait a moment before throwing his arm in the air to indicate which side he's blown the penalty mm. to. And you never know... <laughs> No, you I never don't... know who he's awarding the penalty to until he's already done it. Yeah, I, I, I quite confidently think, uh, oh yeah, well, Romania have just gone way over the top there. None of them are on their feet. And then penalty Romania for something Scotland <laughs> might have done at some point. And it's like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I can buy that. <laughs> Pen- one... Penalty Scotland, the military are after you, number eight. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, Bill McLaren has a word with Derek White for something he does at a ruck. And Bill McLaren just says, Derek White, he must have done something naughty. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It really made me laugh that. It, there, was, there was a very particular way he said naughty, yes. uh, which really, really... Which none of us could do justice. Tickled me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was amazing that the of all the, the stuff going on at uh, every breakdown... The ref has just decided, right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick Derek White and I'm gonna have a have a chat. <laughs> just just to make it look like I'm trying to do something to you yeah, know like a... Im- improve the situation in the game. Of course it doesn't. Nothing comes of that chat. Like there's no there's no follow-up in terms of like improving discipline or anything like that. Mm. It's just sort of like, yes, this has to be done, you know, yes, we're aware of how shit this all is, but oh well. <laughs> I've got to be. I've got it. Look, I'm going to get reviewed for my performance. I've got to be seen to doing something. Exactly. There's no, yeah. There's no ref mic on him, so he can probably just say that to Derek White. Like, I don't. Yeah. I'm not actually. I just want to. You know, it's yeah, the I mean, infamous. And, White, and White's not arguing at any point. He's not. He's no. not trying to like display his point. It's like he's sort of nodding along. Like, yes, this is something that has to happen. <laughs> I um, understand. Yeah. Like the um, infamous Phil Bennett team talk, where he went back to his forwards and just said, don't get caught, yeah. <laughs> rather than stop cheating. Big that vibes. So he's probably just said that to Derek White. I don't want to catch you again, but keep doing it. <laughs> so when, uh, at the start of the game, uh, Scott mm-hmm. Hastings goes off, they replace him with Richard Cram, who comes mm-hmm. on for his international debut as a fly half. And I think him and Wiley were sort of alternating who was playing fly half, who was playing centre. But Richard Cram sort of goes sort of 10 minutes uh, without touching the ball in his first cap of international rugby, which, you know, as a fly half is, is quite disappointing. You know, you want to get your hands on the ball early, you want to get involved. And then comes a point where Scotland have just got into the 22 and the moment is coming. Scotland have won their set piece and Cram is there lined up like, right, OK, I'm going to get my first touch of international rugby. And you know what I want to do? I want to do something absolutely glorious here. I'm going to... Not, not, not worry about what the people outside me are doing. No, no, I want to focus on myself. I want to do something 
amazing. Something magical on my first touch. Like, I've just been given a golden towel by Mr. Adam Jenkins himself, uh, who was, probably isn't born yet. I, I want to I want to do something amazing. I'm going to score a drop goal. <laughs> Except his drop goal, it leaves the ground, in fairness. It does leave the floor. It goes... So he's probably stood 15 metres from the touchline, and I would say it goes perfectly straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gets to about the height of the crossbar. Yes. And goes, yeah, perfectly straight over the 15 metre line. It's massive, massive first touch syndrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, look. I'm not saying I blame him, but we can all agree that that was the only reason he did it, right? Oh, because absolutely. Because of his first touch. Yeah. I, um, I, I ended this game chief of the Crammy fan club. <laughs> I think. Just absolutely just just wanted to, to be a part of everything. I felt like just really had the time of his life out there. I love that his second touch, he gets the ball just inside his own 22, kicks it about three metres, and Bill McLaren says, yes, he's typically calm and collected, is <laughs> So, mate, he's just shanked a kick. Uh, can I read you Richard Cram's Wikipedia page? Yes. So, oh God, is, that, is, is that Crammy fan club th- soundbite going to come back to haunt me? It's, it's going <laughs> to live with you. It's going to live with you. <laughs> going to have it printed on some towels. So this is Rub Union, the section of the Rub Union career. For Richard Cram. He played for Harlequins, New Line. He moved to London Scottish, New Line. He then played for Gosforth, New Line. He played for the Anglo-Scots district in the Scottish Inter-District Championship. Is this a children's book? He played for Scotland B twice. <laughs> he went on to make his full senior international debut in the 1987 Rugby World Cup group stage against Romania. He made four points in total for Scotland. He Good went on the 1987... 1988, Scotland tour for Zimbabwe over four caps were not awarded. But I love the, the slow structure of, yeah, as you say, it sounds like a children's book. He played for Harlequins. He moved to London Scottish. He then played for Gosforth. We will check no back tomorrow and it would say, Adam Jenkins likes him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want another fun fact about Richard Cram? Yes. Uh, he was the coach of Newcastle when they first turned professional in 1985. That's cool. So, I don't know, he might have overseen young Johnny Wilkinson coming through. Uh, he might have been his kind of mentor. Uh, I don't know that for certain, but I know he was coaching at Newcastle. He was a you know former fly half coaching at Newcastle when Wilkinson was coming through the academy. And hey, so, we know he's heard of drop goals. I, yeah. I, I think I think you should go all in here and say that a hundred percent he was Johnny Wilkinson's mentor and <laughs> chief inspiration and the he sole was, reason. Yeah. He was yeah. the reason that Johnny Wilkinson got up in the morning all those days and practiced his drop kicking, and he really committed to the art form of the drop goal and the, the goal kick. And really, it is entirely down to former Scotland midfielder Richard Cram that England won the 2003 World Cup. We can say this absolutely for certain, that Richard Cram, who played for Harlequins, he then moved to London Scottish, he then played for Gosford, <laughs> that he was the only reason Johnny Wilkins had a successful rugby career. I, I think not... in, in 2003, Richard Cram, watching that ball go over, had a tear in his eye as he thought back to 1987 and his first touch in international rugby and thought, "That's this is where it's led. Yeah. That, that, that was what it was for. 
He thought about that missed drop goal and thought it was worth it. I had yeah, to miss that drop goal so that Wilkinson could get this. Hey, yes. we both kicked completely straight. We kicked it at the same <laughs> angle. Yeah. Maybe he'd had some kind of like visitation telling him that he would he he would be responsible for a legendary World Cup drop goal. And he thought in nineteen eighty seven that his his one against Romania would be that legendary <laughs> drop goal. And then he realized that he had to pass on that baton to someone else. <laughs> he missed that drop goal. But, oh no, of course I'm not the chosen one. We're nine nil up. Of course. <laughs> that makes sense. It's going to be later on down the line. And that's okay. It's going to be so later on down the line. It's going to be a different player for a different country. (laughs) (laughs) Who's getting paid. In a completely different era of the sport. But, yeah. I think that that, that should be his Wikipedia page. (laughs) (laughs) Should should we just on air now just revamp his Wikipedia page? Um... um... So, here we are, his rugby career. Um, he later coached at Newcastle, where he was the sole inspiration and key mentor for That's Johnny multiple clauses in one sentence Wilkinson. there, Robert. Uh, um, who's Robert? I'm going to tag it so it tagged onto Johnny Wilkinson's page. You really need um, to break up these sentences and make them way more digestible. No, 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 no. I've got this problem now that I've been doing the video so long, I write solely for my voice box every <laughs> sentence I write. I'll just change it to where he let Kajini Castle, where he was the key mentor for Johnny Wilkinson. Okay. And then if they need a source, link back to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes that's a great idea. <laughs> that is such a great way to drive traffic through the, the Crammy fan club, who will all, like, look, we know what the the Crammy fan club are like. They check back on that Wikipedia page daily, don't they? And they're oh, always yeah. checking it. Somebody updated it. And it's going to be like, notification squad will all be in the group chat tomorrow saying, lads, the Crammy Wikipedia page has been updated. Let's check this shit out. And then they're going to do it. And they'll go, there's a source. And then we're going to have billions and billions of listens come as a result. Genius. We've, oh, cornered, the, is... we've cornered the Crammy market. It's already been removed. No, no. Says you made an article, changed an article to the Richard Cramper did provide a source. I've removed it for you now. If you'd like to include a citation and a reliable source and re-edit, please do so. Uh, dude, I'll do that on Sunday when uh, this episode goes up. Yeah, <laughs> I have got a screenshot of exactly what you wrote, so <laughs> so it's all there. I, I I have it already. God, editing the Wikipedia page so quickly, you'd think it's Sean Holly editing his own page. <laughs> oh man. Should we get back into rugby? Sure, if you want to. Um, <laughs> one try in. <laughs> We've been here for ages. You say uh, it's like we're doing this every week. Yeah, that's true. So John Jeffrey scores his first of many tries. Mm. And it turns out the try is assisted by a, a, t- a tight head that Scotland have in the squad called Waisali Sarevi. 
who <laughs> picks the ball up, like does like a kind of mini goose step around somebody and throws the world's most ambitious offload that goes to hand. And yeah, uh, what John... a moment! I think this is the best moment by any prop in this tournament so far. Yeah, so it right? is Norrie Rowan himself. Noddy Rowan, right? So Romania have been completely dominant in the scrum. They win when he penalties, winning balls against the head, and out of nowhere, Scotland suddenly blast them on one, <laughs> knock the ball right out, win the scrum against the mm. head. Um, what we covered, yeah, there's a brief carry by Paxton at number eight. Yeah. Um, and then Noddy Hohen comes in at... Noddy at Hohen? <laughs> Who's Noddy Hohen? Big ears came along as well. Um, <laughs> Nori, Nori Rowan. Hey, make way for Nori. I've got Noddy Hohen written in my notes. I did just read that verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nori Rowan comes and picks and goes, throws a little dummy, makes a little goose step, darts right through, makes a proper bullock where he's shaking off tacklers. As Bill McLaren says later of Matt Duncan, ripping himself out of tackles, which I think is just a wonderful turn of phrase. Mm. Yeah, burst through and right as I on the fullback is coming across to make the tackle, he throws his, yeah, incredibly ambitious offload over his shoulder, the slightest glance to Finley Calder, who is there perfectly to take it. Scotland then offload a bunch more and score. It's like it's a glorious try, and it's a yeah. phenomenal moment of rugbying from a prop, like completely borrowing through it, like it's the Edin- the tunnels under Edinburgh. The amount of times we have seen like wingers and scrummers or whatever going for offloads like that, and it's just not worked in this World mm. Cup. And for that to actually stick was like genuine. Like, I couldn't believe it on the third week. A bullock and a beautiful offload. What yeah. more can having won the scrum against the head? What more mm. can you ask for from a player? Phenomenal. Tiger Furlong it. knows nothing. <laughs> a classic Irish hate coming back into the. <laughs> 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 oh. oh, I love it. Matt Duncan then scores a try. Yeah. Um, so lovely grubber by Alan Tate. Yeah, yeah. After you know some good hands from Hastings, Tate himself then scores. Kind of gets the return assist yeah. from Duncan himself, which is always a nice poetic thing when two players assist each other within a couple of minutes of each other. I always enjoy that. Very close friends. What role Alan Tate's on? Like, these are his first three caps. Yeah. And he's scored constantly and he's involved in everything. Yeah, he's been brilliant. He's having um, a hell of a turnout. Yeah. So Scotland win the turnover, go wide. Duncan kind of steps inside and jinks around a little bit and then has that thing where the opposition is so convinced that this winger is going to try and dummy it and go himself. Mm. And no, he gives the pass and times it really, really well for Tate to slide in the corner. Mm. Like Campesi we talked about in a previous episode. That yeah, kind of, yeah. The confidence of being able to throw that pass. Mm. Romania have a couple of attacks during this period. And I have three things noted down, right? One is beautiful by Iron. He throws this like really lovely dummy and darts through from the base where he kind of... He only like faints slightly with the ball rather than properly throwing like James Hook theatrical dummy or like Kaylee Powell um, yes. at the minute who has, I don't know. I don't know. How would you describe the Kaylee Powell dummy? You use the word incredulous to describe mm. it, which I think is a very good word for it. But just like, I don't get how anybody has ever bought that dummy, let alone every single game she plays. And like, I love it. Yeah. But it's not like she's ever going to pass it. And if she did, just let her, because yeah. it's going to touch. <laughs> I, she de- generally dummies to a player that isn't there, and yeah. people keep falling for it. Like, I too did watch Bristol playing the Premier 15 a few weeks ago, and the first thing I saw when I turned <laughs> over was her throwing that dummy. Yeah, I've been, I've been there a couple of weeks ago when they played um, Gloucester. Exactly the same, exactly the same. Yeah. So, 
Romania also right. I've got. Just, I'm just going to read this note out. But this mm. tactic for Romania of crossfield kicks with nobody chasing really isn't working. <laughs> it reaches a point where Bill McLaren starts referring to every kick they do as a crossfield, mm. just because this like they have the same strategy for every kick, which is just punt it somewhere away from where the tennis stood and nobody chase it. And so. If, if every kick is approached the same, they all start to look the same. And so you start calling them under the same umbrella term of cross field. Even mm. if it's straight in front of you, Bill McLaren's going like, oh, that's intended probably as a cross field. <laughs> it's just excellent work. And the other thing I've written down is sand child. Romania have a sand child. Yes. Yes, they do. Sounds like something from June. But Romania it did take me a, a moment to know child. what you meant. Yes, they have a child who brings on sand and is made of sand as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like bloody from bloody Spider Man. He's the child, yeah. Sandman's kid. Yeah, he is. He is. That's genuine. Well, no, it's it's Sandman as a kid. Sorry, yes. so that kid grows up to become sense. Sandman. Sandman. Yeah, back yeah. When he was Sand Boy. Yeah, he was Sand Boy back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, this was just after Metallica wrote that song about his father. Mm. So the Sandman that they're referring to in that song was it's actually like, the father of the one from Spider-Man. It's like Donkey Kong. It's like mm. how, who we now refer to as Donkey Kong is the grandson of the Donkey Kong from the game Donkey Kong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, or, or like there's like Sandman as one great fictional character. Donkey Kong, another. Adam Beard is another one. Mm. Like you've got his father, uh, the S&C coach, another great fictional character who I love. Great. Okay. So yeah, they've got sand child. <laughs> Adam, any thoughts child. on having on, on the existence of sand tr- sand children? Sorry, I was just I was I was trying to come up with a link, doing some really quick googling. Flint Marco, the actual the real life oh, name yeah, of yeah. of Sandman. And I was trying to think. Marco sounds kind of Eastern European. It's it's not quite Romanian, unfortunately. But I feel like it could be. Well, they've got Alexandru Marie. If it was, if it was Marco, maybe. Alexandru Mar- Would you say Marcus. it was a typo? Yeah, his, his, his real name is Flint Marku, and he's a Romanian uh, sandboy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the clip we're going to pull out and have haunt you. He's a just, Romanian sandboy. Justing down in my man of the match section, Flint Marku, the Romanian sandboy. <laughs> I just believe that's an establishment that Lawrence Delalio regula- regulates. <laughs> he doesn't regulate, he just goes there often. Romanian um, sandboy. There we go. Anyway, John Jeffrey scores a try, doesn't he? Where hmm. it's basically the worst try in the history of the World Cup so far that's not a penalty try. Uh, and hey, I'm so, grateful that it wasn't. So the ball spills out, as Adam mentioned earlier, ball spills out the side of the scrum. John Jeffrey picks it up and scores. <laughs> And but, so, the thing is, he looks confused as he scores. Like, he almost looks like he feels bad. Because, like, if someone scores a try like that in training, you think, like, oh, come on, you're just being boring. Like, let's mm. play a little bit. And he almost looks like he feels sorry for the Romanians that he scored that first phase. So, Marcel Todea, who is the only Romanian in the shot, who yeah. is kind of jogging across getting the ball, <laughs> kind of full on goes, no, stop, come back. <laughs> <laughs> just like... Just like watch him zim pick it up and score. He could have dived on that ball, or he could have tried to tackle Jeffrey, but he just doesn't. I mean, that 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 sort of that that's the seemingly the, the, every, every Romanian player that doesn't have the ball. It doesn't matter whether <laughs> the team is attacking or defending. It's it's more just oh no, I'm uh, right, okay. If, when when they get the ball, 
it's run, it's step, it's kick, it's it's do something. You know, it's mm. exciting. And then and then just whatever whenever they the other fourteen players or fifteen if they're in defence, it's just like oh oh no oh well, like. Like, like, as if they, they that Jeffrey's trial was like, oh, that was inevitable. That was always yeah, going to happen. Just... Nothing we could have done to stop that. <laughs> Not like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's very much the attitude. If it was professional rugby, I'd say it was unacceptable. Mm. But it's amateur rugby, so it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> A very clear distinction. I love it. I like that their only tactic without the ball is let the Constantine brothers punch someone. <laughs> yeah. Truly. And when they're not doing that this game, when they're having a quieter game, it feels feels less notable. Feels like they, they maybe that's why they capitulated in defence as much as they did. You know, having perhaps stood up a little more against France. No, nope. I say that they conceded the same number of points against France and Scotland. Oh, um, but but yeah. they they do score shortly after this, just mm. before half time. They're the last try before half time, and I'm not gonna lie, there's I, not much to say about it. Well, is this no, the it's... first try from a proper mall as we think of them nowadays in the Rugby World Cup? That's true. That is yeah, very was... true, actually. A line-out mall, isn't it? This yeah. Sucked. It was so modern and boring. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. It's a try that, it's a sort of try that we can like take for granted, isn't it? Yeah. Which is cool, because that, that shows it was a good try. There have been tries from players getting held up in tackles and then driving over the lines of mall in this World mm. Cup, right? I think. I believe, but I don't think we've had a try, and we've had the try that um, Constantine himself was it Constantine yeah. or was it one of the other something like that? Yeah, one of the other Romanians scored where they dived over the line, having just kind of caught it from a line out and then fell over the line. I think it's happened yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, um, where there wasn't more necessary. I think this is the first time that a team has thrown the ball into a line out expecting to form a mall. And yeah, they managed to form it around like and drive them over. A deliberate like mall try. Yeah. The first deliberate mall try in the Rugby World Cup. In, I suppose in the 80s, it feels like, if you think like the the famous Wales 13 man mall against mm. New Zealand, where it was one of those things where the coach had had an idea, they were, lo- they were losing the match. They thought, Let- let's try it and at least get a score. Mm. Yeah. It felt like a normal driving mall off a line out was yeah. like the, that, the equivalent of that in the eighties. Mm. Like, Oh, this is, this is just some crazy idea. A coach has had to like set up a mall directly from a line out. Let's just give it a go and see if it's worth it, worth bothering. Um, Somehow just... Scott Williams still comes up at the top of the ball. <laughs> yeah. I think that is very much how it felt, but also as you say, it felt slightly boring, mm. but because I go, I have this jotted down um, for Jeffrey's second try, but, 50% of tries this World Cup feel like flukes. <laughs> it feel like teams just randomly passing, throwing, kicking the ball. And there is a distinction between the passing and throwing. Not every pass given is a pass. Some of them are just thrown. Some of them are just them throwing it in this World Cup. It feels like 50% of them, they're just trying stuff in the hope it might work. They're not thinking, this is how I break down the defence, get around them, it's, or even yeah, yeah. what I do individually. Really amazing how commonplace the... It was what people call now like the basketball pass mm. is not even even when not under pressure. Yeah, <laughs> Usually you yeah. see it now from maybe maybe a tall second row or, or back row or something like 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 Seb Davis is usually the one I go to one handed kind mm. of basketball pass, you know, two man tackle. You sort of reach over them and throw it back under no pressure whatsoever. The amount of basketball passes just sort of deciding not to pass normally and instead just sort of lob it over the top in a general direction 
I think that actually brings us nicely on to... We'll skip half-time, because mm. Romania's second try in this game comes directly from that. So Dimitru, who's come off the bench, number eight for, for Romania, breaks away from a scrum and just carries the ball one-handed the whole time. And that's kind of... It's a really good try, actually, because that's what draws people in. And mm. I actually... So I recently wrote an article about this, about the fact that... Uh, on Thomas Williams, and the fact that, like, the fact that Thomas Williams always carries the ball one-handed is what draws so many people into him in open play, because it always convinces people that he's going to run himself when actually he's got the ability to offload one-handed and so on. And there's a sort of distinct few players in the world who are really, really good at that. But what he does there is, yeah, he runs with the ball one-handed and just convinces everybody it's going to run himself. And yeah, he just kind of like offloads over the top to Romania's fastest womanizer in Tuada, who scores. Yeah, I mean, it's a very simple finish for him. He's just got to dolly down in the corner. Yeah, the... and he could have finished himself, Dimitri. Yeah, but he's right to give the pass, I think. He is, so yeah. 100% he turns he like an 80% try into a 100% try. Yeah. Yeah, really lovely work, really lovely use of a scrum going forward. And then, yeah, as you said, great use of his own attribute, mm. I guess, to to make the most of that, the space that was available on the field Yeah, and create the try. Yeah, a bit of a kind of rally from Romania out of nowhere. Yeah. Romania then shortly afterwards runs this really beautiful move, this kind of like faux 11 pattern similar to the jacob stockdale try against i was new zealand. i literally have that written um, down the jacob stockdale try against new zealand yeah yeah where he, he chips it over but before that when they do the so for anybody not aware that the play in simple terms that can maybe hit they they hit, hit, hit midfield like they're going to do go for a crash then they have someone running kind of like a faux switch mm. where they're quite deep so they receive the ball but to distribute back to the way it came so if it comes from a line out they're attacking the touchline where the line-out was set up, but they convince the opposition they're going to hit it in midfield first. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's going back towards the wing. The only yeah. difference here, right, is in 2018 when Ireland ran it and when they ran it before in the World Cup, World Cup against Romania. Yes. Uh, against Romania, fittingly, actually. Uh, mm. Mm, Romania. Mm, sand boys. So back when they ran it then, the defence followed them and had some sort of organisation. Whereas yeah. at the time, one Scottish player flew up to try and make a hat tackle. Otherwise, the entire team just waited <laughs> on what would be the game line. And so it meant that they just were stood there when Romania finished doing all their fancy bullshit and just tackled them. And look, defence have come a long way and most of that is for the better. But every now and again... There is a benefit to just standing still and waiting for the opposition <laughs> to be ready and run into you. Because most of these modern moves are designed with good defence in mind. Yeah. Like, every now and again. It's really interesting, actually. So I hope that nobody I uh, that, that I have a play against uh, listens to this. But there's a move that we used to run with my team where it was, again, like a great example of it is Jacob Stockdale again scored uh, against England with this, where it hits at the midfield now, second phase, you run it so um, one player gets it, like the hooker, for example, then throws the ball back on the inside. A two-phase move, and that sends the 13 stroke through the middle, and they dance around the fullback and score. At first team level, it always works, because the defences are really good and try to organise everything. At second team level, it doesn't work quite as well, because <laughs> you often get like fat, lazy midfielders just lurking around the edges of the ruck. Um mm. Which is a really interesting distinction, looking at kind of the difference between like good defences and this level at 1987. So what we're saying is that 1987 was actually better than the modern day. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. it's the, the golden age of rugby. It's have the, we, come, the glory have we come round to becoming Games Gone Soft? Adam, can you put us in our place, please? <laughs> um, I mean, I would, but at the same time, there's a... There, there is a... 
a nice simplicity to the game, I suppose. Mm. In the, I feel like if I go back to when I first started, like really getting into rugby, mm. one of the things that I loved about it is I felt like a score could come from anywhere because I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. I didn't know how defences worked and, and things like that. And the more I learned about the game, the, the modern game in particular, and how things were set up from from rucks and how attacks have to manipulate defences in a certain way, the less and less I felt like, oh, a try can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the the more you sort of then become kind of like, well, I'm not going to be able to expect anything for the next sort of, for this passage of play, however long it lasts, because there's no way they can score from this position. Yeah, yeah. In in this match, <laughs> I, <laughs> I never had that concern mm. that, oh, you know, Scotland or Romania are kind of stuck in their own half here and they the other team have lined up really well and they're going to have to kick for territory or something. There's you, you have that kind of bringing it back to the idea where it sort of feels a bit like football. In the the fact that there's much less of a set defence sure, involved, yeah. that it feels like a bit more free for random shit to happen. Yeah, which on a superficial level is exciting, mm. which is where I think like like kind of sevens is is gets its kind of like uh, excitement from, but on a sort of a more deeper level of like loving the sport there's no real depth there to enjoy other than the 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 fancy passes and the good runs that come out of luck essentially Hmm. so uh, yeah i suppose i i I get why people have these kind of rose-tinted glasses about 80s rugby and 70s rugby Hmm. because you do remember those those parts of it what you don't remember is the fact that everything around it was had to be shit to allow that to happen. <laughs> yes. And I think that's the, the the interesting kind of distinction is that there have been some really lovely tries and really lovely individual passages in this tournament and in this, this game as well in particular. But when you go back to this level of rugby, to back to 1987 rugby, the only thing that's interesting was the scoring, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas you look at modern rugby and I find so much of it interesting in the oh, yeah, yeah. thing. And draws me in, you know, and I find like great yeah. passage defense are really exciting nowadays. You know, you get and like great kicking there. battles and stuff. Yeah. yeah, which is something I think it's underexplained. A lot of people disagree with, but I think that's only because and probably because it used to be so shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So people um, assume that it still is. Yeah, and you look at stuff like there was one between Wales and France, and there's one between England and France, which I've covered in videos and stuff. But yeah. like, if that was covered properly, and you had commentators talking us through what decisions were being made by the individual fullbacks and tens and players involved in those kicking, mm. um, and also I hold like kicking battles should be shown from a camera behind the goal line. Behind, yeah, the- maybe pointing this out. Mm. It's a really good. Um, one. Yeah, like the the it's just it makes them so much more interesting because you can see what space and it looks like a tactical yeah. decision each one. Um, that's just like something I'll. That is my opinion. I will kind of die on that hill and try and force it through. Yeah, I don't shout that often. But I think there's so much more about the game that is really exciting now through those introductions. You know, like you, you would, you don't have the passages where, you know, the, that Wales Island. One of the most exciting passages of rugby I've ever had was Wales Island 2015, when Wales defended 40 odd phases of Ireland attacking. Yeah, 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 unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Sexton diving over the top. Yeah, yeah, like that kind of thing couldn't have happened in '97. 
No, um, and that adds to the game. You know, Great moment of drama, and the crowd are yeah. all really behind. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I mean, the, the Six Nations channel itself made a highlight video out of it. Yeah, out of a passage of defence. Yeah, you know, that that's brilliant. It's you 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 wouldn't get that from from pre professional rugby because it it just didn't exist. It's a moment that sticks with me, and I know that Wales lost this game, but last year when we played South Africa in the autumn, mm. there was one moment when yes! Johnny McNichol booted the ball downfield and we've been defending for absolutely ages. And like it was satisfying enough winning the turnover, but that was more out of relief. Johnny McNichol boots the ball downfield, then on first phase, Ellis Jenkins wins a turnover penalty and the crowd absolutely erupted. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I can remember, Robbie, we watched the game together and we both got up and just hugged like we'd scored a try, like the winning try. Like that... It felt amazing. It's often those are the moments that get me up most. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. There's um, great serotonin in Alice Jenkins' breakdown penalty, man. Because... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he keeps doing it. Yeah. <laughs> As you'd know well. Yeah. I mean, Dylan like... Lewis is the new Alice Jenkins, but yeah. <laughs> of uh, with the handlebar moustache, though, does that mean when Pivot's going to inexplicably hate him for no reason? <laughs> He's going to bear the brunt of one loss that was knocked down to him. Yeah. Yeah, but as I say, I think there's just there's more depth to what works. And something I've been thinking about the last couple of days, because I um, I stayed in an Airbnb recently, and the guy running it was a rugby fan. Oh, uh, nice. like you know, like old old school, like played in like the eighties and nineties. Was it Richard like, Cram? Uh, it was Richard Cram. Yeah, and he told me all about Johnny Wilkinson and gave me yeah. a great first hand source for the Wikipedia page. So that is what I'm going to source. In that video so yeah and he was saying that he thinks rugby should go down to 12 a side because there's just not enough space now which is you know i suppose an interesting point come for two from things but i thought about it a bit over the last few days and i do think it's that point that maybe there isn't enough space for individual breakaway trust but eight they still happen right you look yeah. at harlequins last year and you look at individual every game's got individual moments where things break out other mm. than maybe the odd world cup semi-final type game sure yeah, yeah. At which point, you kind of don't want that, you know? You've kind of too much is weighted on things. Yeah. Um, and I kind of love that. I kind of love the weight and drama that comes with big World Cup matches. Um, yeah. But you still have it. Like, the you know, Lions tests last year had moments where it's like, Cheslin Colby's the only player in the world who could do that thing that he's just done. Yeah. You'd have those moments. Yeah. I mean, that Lions tour is a bad example. But... Sure. But you know what I mean, though? Like, yeah. the highest intensity rugby matches. Yeah. I think the game has changed a lot and I think it is less open and I can understand why highlight reels might be less exciting, but I think games as a whole are vastly Loads more better. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the concentration of good rugby is infinitely better and it's not even a debate. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and to be honest, the rugby players are going to, or the, the style of rugby players I was chosen by coaches are going to adapt to that sort of, the, the, the changing sort of scape of defence where... Mm. You you get you. There was a point in which the way to beat defenders was to have massive wingers. Yeah. Mm. And now that's sort of less, and th- there's more of a like pure straight line pace is now very much uh, in 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 fashion. Yeah. With wingers now, because that's the way to find yeah breaks and things like that, and it's always going to be able to adapt. And I think if you keep changing it. To the point, you're not going to allow that time for players to adapt to that, yeah. to the way rugby is now, yeah. Because it will. Like, co- coaches are more intelligent than you think. I think is is one thing, and they they know exactly how the game works, 
and they yeah. know how to exploit it's it, it, it's it's there's, there's always going to be ways to exploit defense yeah and think, that that's going to change over time yeah actually because defense coaches are always going to find a way to counter that it's just one of those things yeah but i think you've got to let rugby change itself i think yeah. rather mm. than I 100% agree with you. Yeah. I think what you say about wingers and back three players is really interesting because uh, Robbie and I have had this discussion a lot before about kind of the swinging between wingers and fullbacks and kind of how those two roles change. And like it was the thing that kind of the small nippy Shane Williams style player in the, uh, was the winger. Then it became the fullback. Now it's become the winger again, like mm. all within and probably five, six so years. Interesting thing that we've talked about this in the past, both on the, yeah. the channel and in person. I think maybe on the podcast yeah, as well, yeah. that there's been a trend lately for very big fullbacks. You look yeah, at the likes yeah. of Freddie Stewart. And like so like Stuart Hogg has bulked up an awful lot in the last couple Massively, of years. Massively, yeah, yeah. Players like that have become a fashion. And yeah. I was talking to a friend of the pod, Connor of Wibber Rugby. Yes, yeah. Day, and he said he's pretty convinced that's starting to swing back. And by the World Cup, it will swing back to being nippy guys. Really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, so like Because of the way kicking has changed. Yeah. Actually, because more players are kicking in field and looking to force you backwards and that kind of you know France oh interesting style, the things the trend is going to be very much focusing on like Henry Arundel and kind of players who are far more steppy and so on in order to counter that kicking it makes you think that might be why Eddie Jones put Fred Stewart on the wing on that last Six yeah. Nations game and, put and why he started playing uh dropping Marcus Smith into the backfield yeah oh man oh man I yeah, didn't even yeah, consider yeah. that man I mean Eddie Jones is very smart so is Connor fair yes. play yeah, we have rambled a lot there, and uh, yes, I think productively, have. but we've got another John Jeffrey try to talk about. Oh, <laughs> that's just—it's just, it's just always going to be the case. We, yeah, we could talk for six hours and be like, "Well, there's another John Jeffrey try." Yeah, we're not not quite run out of them yet. Uh, he breaks the record for most tries by a Scottish forward in this game. Yeah, the record being one. Um, <laughs> no, but I literally have written down Jeffrey Hattrick. Don't know what happens. Yeah. So you guys, I'm going to give this so to you guys. He scored. He goes up to eight tries for Scotland in this game. Uh, the previous record was six, so he smashes it, smashes that record, which is probably now belongs to Ross Ford. I tried to look this up very briefly, but there's not an organised list now that ESPN scrums disappeared. Well, Dave Cherry's got five, hasn't he? George Turner must have similar. Mate, Dave Cherry could could break this record that was being much talked about by Bill McLaren. Just saying. Yeah, Dave Cherry's the goat. If you want to stay on records, I mean, Gavin Hastings scores so many points that Bill McLaren couldn't keep up. Yes, he, to, he loses yeah. count of how many points he scored. Oh yeah, by, dro- by, by the way, he's broken a world record for points scored in a match. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just that, like, like, oh, yeah. He goes like, well, I think it's at least the most points scored by somebody from Hoyk or Glasgow <laughs> or Scotland or the world. Uh, oh yeah we missed a conversion earlier yeah he's done it (laughs) like i really enjoy him trying not to lose count and constantly going back on himself and so on it's really fun listening to him doing calculations even when he doesn't know what he's saying so when i was trying to look up the record for points whether he's got in points style and everything still stands Mm. i came across a football match from 1986 so around this time uh which finished 37 nil which wow. is the highest score in a professional football match ever by a t- that wasn't it didn't involve one team throwing the game because <laughs> there were two scores higher than it in both cases the team were protesting and deliberately considered their own goals and deliberately wanted the opposition to score and it finished like 100 plus but the scoreline is disputed because the referee counted 37 goals but the like 
the PA for the team that scored the goals counted 35. So they split the difference to 36 <laughs> and submitted that. That's incredible. I love. I would have loved it if they've recorded it as like Team A thirty six point five, Team B yeah. nil. <laughs> I mean that that's that's got to just be an attitude that goes. It, that's. Uh, I mean, we're talking about the difference between sort of amateur and professional rugby. Mm. But you know, you're saying that it's like a professional football match. Is it just an eighties thing versus <laughs> versus now? Like, it doesn't matter whether they were getting paid or not. It's just it's just one of those things where like sports was just a kind of a thing that everyone generally agreed on mm. was going to happen one way, and you sort of feel like like with refereeing and rugby, like I mentioned mm. earlier, it just kind of yeah, you can give a penalty at any point if you feel like it. Nobody yeah. would no would nobody would really particularly disagree. It you know, feels... if, if you can't agree on the score, you kind of come to a middle ground. <laughs> like there's there's no like. I don't know. Um, I, I want to say professionalism, but it all feels sillier and floatier, doesn't it? And like they yes, accept this yeah. is a kind of daft game. Mm. Like they've still hung on to the game thing rather than the professional elite performance aspect. Mm. It feels feels like you know a, a primary school sports day where they don't keep count. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does a bit, which is a crazy thing to say about a World Cup. But... And right down to the fact they don't have the scoreboard on screen. So mm. every try feels yeah. kind of more inconsequential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite difficult to keep up with who's winning half the time. Especially and like... when the teams aren't playing, like you mentioned with Romania going for goal. Yeah, like, Despite yeah. being 21 points down or whatever. Every every time someone scores, it feels like the first score of the game, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's... <laughs> so, as you say, Adam Hastings scores two tries. Uh, there's one intercept, which is a brilliant read, goes brilliant the distance. Read. yeah. The other one, one of is... those that looks disastrous in slow motion as mm. he's going for mm. it. You yeah. kind of your heart's in your mouth for the Romanian because you can just see him steaming up yeah, in the way yeah. the player probably can't because they throw the interception pass. Uh, the, the other one, brilliant try, brilliant finish, where he gets the ball around the halfway line, chips for himself, uh, kind of hacks it along the floor and just about managed to dive on it in time just before Piloski, the winger, does for Romania. Uh, yeah, fantastic yeah, that, that finish. Was odd, that was an odd meters. one because it felt like for every second, even down to the millisecond, up to when that ball gets touched, that it that Romania have it. It's going to be mm-hmm. a defensive touchdown. Yeah, and then somehow, like even watching it from the reverse angle, I I I kept sort of playing back and watching it over again. How how Scotland managed to score that because it just felt like it was constantly going in the wrong direction and. The only thing I could conclude was it looked like the Romanian player going back dove for it, but forgot to put his hands on it. <laughs> so it, it it just it just looks like he sort of dolphin dives yeah. on it in a way. Yeah, very confusing. Mm. Very weird try. <laughs> Perfectly suited to the game. Yes. <laughs> So, also, so Ticarlo scores another try. So the, it's just a kind of simple 8, 9, 11 move on the blind side. Really scrum. lovely final offload, though. Yeah. Like the final pass is. is kind of very subtle. It is. Very good. Yeah. And Romania take another shot from the halfway line. <laughs> yes, they do. To narrow the scores from t- to 22 43. And so I'm just, there's a point. So we're about one hour and 37 minutes into the game mm-hmm. where I'm just going to read out what I have in my notes because it's extremely chaotic. Who's the old kilted man on crutches? 
oh, hey, Romania have scored. How come these offloads are all going hand today? Is this on Rugby Challenge where they turn up the offload chance slider? Because yeah. um, suddenly, just like everyone's throwing these re- equally yeah. ambitious offloads to other games, just they, hap- they happen to be going to hand. I was wondering whether that was actually happening. I was just being lulled into a false sense of security by Bill McLaren reassuring me. Yeah, maybe that is what it is. I don't know, but I also have no idea who the old kilted man on crutches is. But no. I was too busy writing about that to notice the Romanian try, so I don't know what happened with that. I didn't bother well, watching it. That back. Romanian try, yeah, really lovely final pass. They score, and that's pretty much the last play. It's the end of the game, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think like so. A minute after that, maybe at most. Yeah, I think, um, I, think that, I think that is the end of the game. Yeah. Full time goes. Kids rush onto the pitch looking for Gavin Hastings' autographs, and yeah. unlike the bloody All Blacks and their bloody respect they have from rugby values, Gavin Hastings actually signs the kids' autographs so <laughs> yeah. much so that a very glamorous woman walks up to him and just waits on his shoulder, like very very close to him, almost leaning on his shoulder, and he just completely ignores her in order to <laughs> sign kids' autographs instead. And she's waiting to flirt with Gavin Hastings, no doubt. Like she's yeah, looks... world record breaker out of yeah. uh, Gavin Hastings. Yep. And Gavin Hastings is just signing the kids' autographs. That's good rugby values for you. It'll be <laughs> just different. Values. So there's a lot of an interesting kind of uh, ambling about segment after the game mm. where a lot of players are swapping shirts and just doing loads of really good rugby values things like sweeping the sheds and talking to dogs and so on. But there's a point where there's a few players just kind of walking up and down the tunnel mm. and then you can see somebody asks something to to Douglas Wiley, who is stood there mm. in the tunnel. And he just kind of looks up at him and goes, holds his shirt, kind of puffs it out and goes, 10, and then takes his shirt off. So clearly, Demetri Alexandru approached him in the tunnel and said, hi, mate, sorry, uh, what number are you? And then asked to swap shirts with him, not knowing whether or not that was his opposite number because he didn't <laughs> recognise him from the game they'd just played. That tells you everything, doesn't it? About yeah. the fact we haven't mentioned the Scottish fly half in the game they won by a huge margin. Yeah, yeah. But I just find that really funny that like the you know, Romanian ten didn't know who he was, but also wanted to swap shirts with him just as a token gesture. <laughs> he just wanted a Scotland jersey. Either that or he wanted to give out the gift that is the very glamorous Romanian jersey. Mm. I mean it is excellent. Uh, Hastings and I would also say hello but don't swap shirts, and Bill McLaren says it's a great sporting moment. Yes. <laughs> Which I believe brings us to the end of the game, but I do want to very quickly. It's time for the Romanian leaving party. Very quickly yeah, before is. we do man of the match and dick of the day. Very very quickly. Let's hurry through this. Yeah. Uh, Romanian. Ah, here we are. Eurovision best, was last week. Best Romanian hits worldwide. Oh, okay. 2015 album. Let's go with Bagger 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 Bine. Just what I was hoping you would play. Valdult de la Barge. Yeah, Romania, they certainly played in this World Cup, didn't they? Yeah, well, I think they were largely agreed to be quite disappointing for what people were expecting from them in the tournament. Yeah, they should have um, lost that game to Zimbabwe. Yeah, I was assuming that they didn't. I mean, the best players in the tournament for them, probably there's the Constantine brothers for non-rugby-related reasons. Yes. Uh, I mean, so I think the most memorable player for them, as far as I'm concerned, is Stefan Constantine. Mm, uh, yeah. I think he really stands out. I think Marcel Tuada stands out for being a complete, like, womanizer and dickhead. <laughs> and of course, Christian Raducanu for many reasons, some yeah. of which to do with rugby. But I still, somehow, despite all of those, would, if I was picking a dick of the tournament for them, give it to Livio Hudorka for his performance against Zimbabwe. I mean, for me, if I'm picking a man of the tournament and dick of the tournament, I'm picking them both as Stefan Constantine. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And um, Adam, anything you want to add about Romania? Um, I mean, I think, I think, I think you summed it up perfectly when you said they were there. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> that was one of the best parties I've ever been to. Also, one of the only parties I've ever been to. So, Dick of the Day at the match. Yes. Um, so, um, should we start with Man of the Match? Will, do you want to start? Okay. Oh, it was quite difficult picking a Man of the Match here, I thought, because, like, you get to the second half and you start thinking it's obviously Gavin Hastings because he's scoring billions of points, but also John Jeffrey scored a hat-trick. And also, we've spent all day talking about how much we love Bill McLaren. So again, I just want to give him a man of the match. Mm-hmm. And I'm very tempted to do that. But just for sheer laughs, I'm going to give it to Colin Deans for his inspired team talk before the game. I think he was quite good. He was okay. extremely understated. He wasn't. Yeah. Like, I will admit right now, it wasn't as good as Hastings or Jeffrey. But I'm picking this, and I just want that as a vibe selection. And also, I anticipate that you guys are going to pick Hastings and Jeffrey. So I just don't want to. I don't. I don't want to be uh, bland. Okay, Adam, do you want to give us yours? Crammy. Oh yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm glad uh, Will didn't go for that really obvious choice of uh, man of the match there. Um, man of many talents which Johnny Wilkinson knows very very well yes and I mean so the obvious choice is again Gavin Hastings because he breaks the world record for points (laughs) but look honestly the guy who I think contributes the most this game is Bill McLaren yeah so look Gavin Hastings should be man of the match probably if I was only picking rugby players but I, we never limited that. We never said I'm that. I'm now really regretting my choice. So I kind of want to late. change it. It's too late. Oh, no. It's too late. It's too late. Your choice okay. is Colin Deans for no goddamn reason at all. I literally think I saw him about three times in this game, and I've admitted that's on air. And what he did was good. Best thing Thank is... I nominated him for Scotland France as well, so he's level with Serge Blanco. <laughs> <laughs> he's level with Serge Blanco, Glenn Webb, Patrice Le Bon, and Superboot Corridor would do her oh, for man. second place on player of the tournament to Fabio the Dog at the minute. Oh, that means he's joined with Timothy the Dog. I can't believe I've done this. <laughs> so, should we do Dick of the Day? Yeah, sure. So, whoever got written down for Dick of the Day. I mean, it's, I think, compulsory that I have to have Scott Hastings written down for pulling his hammy in the first minute. <laughs> yeah, okay. Even though I actually, I really do feel for him. I, it, It's like, it's an automatic qualification. But I have to give it to Douglas Wiley because he made a business decision on a scrum half. There's a point where Paraskeev runs at him and he steps out the way. And it's like, mate, you are bigger than him. You should nail him. And instead he steps out the way scared. And it's like, oh, come on, man. That is an absolute crime. So, I mean, I think it's hard to look beyond the first five minutes of Parashev's game where he takes a quick tap from a penalty they've just been given, runs into his forwards and gets penalised for crossing, for blocking, obstruction. And then immediately when they regather the ball from the scrum, which they're completely dominant in, he boxes it straight to the opposition forward <laughs> who goes on to score a hat-trick and creates the opening try. And I think that, that kind of perfect five minutes 
makes Mirashev Parashev, Mirashke Parashev, the Romanian captain, my dick of the day. I'm sorry, did none of us give Garen Hastings man of the match? He scored the fucking world <laughs> record, man, man of the points. Did none of us give him man of the match? We've got three of us here. None of us gave him man of the match. He literally scored more points than anyone has in the highest level of rugby. And not even that. Look, it's not even like the reason why we didn't give him man of the match is because his flanker scored a hat trick, which was rare at this point, and it also broke a record. We've just neglected to give him man of the match for no fucking reason. <laughs> the thing is, Will. You gave the worst justification. I did! And now I've lost my fucking mind! Adam, who's your dick of the day? <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit... It's... it's. I'm, I, I'm a bit torn between two Scottish players. I mean, there's... Matt Duncan for his disgusting slide tackle on Ion. Yeah. But that didn't really cost his team anything. Mm. So I, I'm going to say Derek White for being the only player to be called out by the referee by name at any point during the match. Yes. What do you have to do to get caught in this game? <laughs> Derek White doesn't know. <laughs> the referee doesn't know. But it happened. Okay. Does that bring us to an end? Do we have anything else to add? No, I need to lie down. I'll tell you what, I do have one thing. Bloody uh, Alexandru, the 10, who takes a short-range kick for Romania, kicks the ball like he hates it. He kicks it in spite. <laughs> he looks furious with the ball when he kicks it. And I enjoyed that energy, and I want to take it forwards into absolutely nothing. Adam, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people find your stuff? Find Dummy Runner, find my break, everything else. Yeah, just uh, Dummy Runner on, on Twitter and uh, Line Break Rugby I'm a part of as well. And apparently I need to set up a towel company. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> look out for that. <laughs> thank you very much for having me on. No, no, thank well, you. Thanks for, for coming it. back, man. We wanted to have you on this 87 series. We thought you'd be the perfect energy for it. So thanks, man. <laughs> I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or an insult. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you categorically it's an insult. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, and well thank you as ever thank you to everybody for listening all the way through our almost two hours (laughs) on scotland v romania please join us next time when the game we're covering will be france 70 zimbabwe 12 talk about that for probably an hour and a half an hour and three quarters good luck guys (laughs) we've chosen this i have things to be doing that's one of the funniest score lines i've ever heard oh man Kind of underlying psychological issue that you're <laughs> that's responsible for this, surely. Suddenly coming to bed. So like, I, uh... and I, 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 I don't say this as as an insult, but nobody asked for this. <laughs> <laughs> nobody at all. No one. 
ever wanted. <laughs> especially, especially even if they did ask for like a World Cup retrospective. I mean, cho- choosing 2011 and 1987 <laughs> over like 95 or 2007 is surely <laughs> it, it, it's a choice. <laughs> And yeah, I I'm both impressed and and I pity you. <laughs> so I'm mostly just disgusted. <laughs> Why are we doing this? I'm going after this to have my eyes tested, and I'm just going to ask them to poke them out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. I wonder if once I've had my eyes test and I can see properly, I'll realise how shit this World Cup is. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, Adam, thank you. Thanks, thank Adam. Thank you to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time for France 70s in Barway 12. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Gavin Hastings. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.